Hello and welcome to the Push Up Brentford podcast. Push Up Brentford is an oral history project set up to commemorate the last year the club will play at Griffin Park, their home for 116 years. We have interviewed fans, young and old, as well as players and managers to uncover their personal stories. We have created a fascinating living history of Brentford Football Club, starring the people who have made it such a special place over the years. This project is run by volunteers, many of them Brentford fans, and supported by the art and education charity Digital Works. In previous episodes, we have concentrated on the experiences of supporters. In this episode, we get a different angle on the club. Martin Allen became the manager towards the end of the 2003-2004 season and was tasked with saving the club from relegation from the third tier with just nine games to play. After what became known as the Great Escape, the following two seasons saw the club achieve two playoff places both ending in semi-final defeats. A character on and off the field, Alan still holds a special place in the hearts of many Brentford supporters. We hope you enjoyed the many voices and stories you will hear. My dad was a professional footballer, and when he finished playing to the end of his career, he went to Belgium and he was a player coach in Belgium. He had a couple of years out there as a player coach. And then when he came back, he applied for a job at a club called Brentford. And I knew that my dad had applied for this job. And one night he came in and he told us as a family that he'd just missed out on the Brentford manager's job. He'd got to the last three. And I was really disappointed for my dad that he'd missed out on that opportunity. So when this one came around, <laughs> I was going to take this and I was going to make this. Partly after what had happened to my dad. And God bless my dad wasn't around to see what we all did together. So um, coming up here to take this job, when it happened, um, oh my God, I was so excited. And I kind of liked the Brentford supporters because I never ever felt that they were prawn sandwich type people. I felt that they were people more of my type. But I kind of liked the fact that it was a ground and not a stadium. It wasn't flash, it wasn't large. There's no private boxes and you know all that poncy stuff that I'm not a lover of. It was more me. Training-wise, first day, it was um, filling them with self-belief. And I think radiating positive belief, a quick way of playing, energised them, gave them a lift, no fear. And I'll never ever forget that first game when we played uh, at home to Rushton and Diamonds. If you remember on that first day, it was a horrendous windstorm, do you remember? But it was going like a gale down the pitch and I think we were 4-0 up at half time. It was quite unbelievable. In the second half we changed ends and they scored three. And we won 4-3. And the last five minutes, was, it was just camped around our goal. We literally couldn't get the ball out of our box. We won 4-3, went into the dressing room. All the players, we hugged each other. We squeezed each other. Done everything we needed to do. Went home. Got home 7 o'clock. I was asleep by 10 past 7. And I slept till the next day, mid-afternoon. Totally, totally exhausted. But we had the three points. I knew that we would stay up. One day I'll come out of my office 
and I came out looking out over the training pitches and I looked out and had that face on. I come flipping heck, there's a flipping horse over there on the training pitch. It's just horse was just walking across the pitch. So Wit said, Don't worry, Gaffer, we'll get it sorted out. So I said, Oh, Dave, you what are you here for? And he said, Oh, the interview for the uh, for the kit man's job. So I said, You get that horse and you can get have the job. I slammed the door, went back into my office. They looked at each other, apparently, and Wit said to him, he said it, you get that horse, he's going to make you kit man. Five minutes later, a knock on my door, Wit said, are you free now? I went, yeah, what's happening? What do you want? He said, Dave's got the horse. So I slammed the door, came outside. Dave's walking back across the first team pitch. <laughs> He'd put the horse over in the field and he got up to me and I said, congratulations, you've got the job, you're our new kit man. He said, is that the interview? I just said, yeah, if you can go and find and make, get catch an horse and get it off our training pitch, you'll be able to sort the kit out. I mean, particularly Martin Allen was, was fantastic. We, we had some great fun with him. Um, a really top bloke, great motivator of men um, and I had a lot of time for him. But his press conferences were fantastic. I mean, you know, he'd talk about growing his garden. And it was obviously a euphemism for growing his football garden. But there was one incident where I think there were quite a few national journalists came into the press room. And we'd just won in the, I think it was the second or third round of the cup, where we went on quite a decent run. And uh, Martin Allen sort of said, in the, with those eyes, piercing eyes, he said, you know, and when we get to Wembley, and a lot of the national reporters laughed and he turned on them and said, what are you laughing at? What are you laughing at? And, he, and <laughs> they were absolutely terrified. And he was, I mean, he was fantastic and really good fun. We got a couple of weeks into pre-season training and uh, Sodji had been good in pre-season. And I had a phone call and I never really heard from Eddie Rogers. He used just to let me get on with it. And he was the chairman, if you remember at the time. Um, Eddie rang me, he said, uh, hello Martin, he's very posh Eddie, I said, uh, hello chairman, how are you? He said, I'm very well, thank you Martin, he said, I just want to bring something up with you, he said, I'm not sure you're aware, he said, the new signing we've got, Sodji, he said, did you know Martin, he's got a six game ban? I didn't know. Uh, I said, um, yeah, 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 I was aware of that. He said, oh, well, you never mentioned it at the time. He said, because we're going to have to pay him all the way through pre-season and for the first six weeks, four or five weeks of, of the season. And he's not even going to play a game. So I said, yeah, yeah, that's right. I said, don't worry, he's a good player. Don't worry. Then he went, oh, OK, let's hope so. And he put the phone down and I rang Sodji up. I said, what's going on? He said, oh, yeah, Gaffer, last year, he said, I got sent off four times. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh my God. In fact, Martin Allen, he, he, he brought me back. And I think my first game away with the, with the squad was Stockport away. So I was just watching. He just wanted me to be humble. He was testing my character out, see if I was Billy Big Time or anything. So he made me travel all the way to Stockport. I weren't playing. Um, sat in the stands with the away fans. After the game, he asked me, he goes, is it true? Did you play for Glasgow Rangers? I went, yeah. He goes, you know, it's tradition that new, new players, they've got to do the kit. So there's me and Peter Gillen. He said, right, you two have got to do the kit. 
So I just went straight away. And then he said, no, I was only testing. I was testing. But that, again, that's part of the mad dog in him, is that he was testing everybody, young or old. Another story about Soji. I did have a rule that centre-backs and defenders weren't allowed to celebrate goals. If they scored, they had to go back and not celebrate. They had to get in position in a back four and be ready for the opposition's next attack. Our attackers, when we scored, were supposed to go to the far corner and take as long as you possibly could with your celebrations and then walk back to the halfway line as slow as you could. This is called gamesmanship, not cheating. So this always used to happen. One day, Soji scored out here. He ran from the penalty spot all the way out to the corner flag, all the way down the touchline, giving it large. And he got about 10 yards from the, you know, that, that dugout where I used to stand there. Got about 10 yards away and he stared straight at me and he started doing that dance in front of me where all the players jumped on top of him. Well, the mad dog rage started to erupt. Sonny, get in your position. And the more I shouted at him, the more he danced. And the more the rest of the lads laughed. <laughs> I remember one board meeting where, because um, Martin used to come in and give us an update, obviously on team matches, injuries, transfers, all the rest of it tactics and um, so we allocated 20 minutes slot for him and one meeting he came in Greg Dyke was the chairman um, and Greg said right Martin okay look we've got a lot on the agenda today so can you try and stick to your 20 minutes an hour and a half later he was still ranting about the fact that in the car park at the training ground someone didn't there was a, a car parking space with a little sign you know the manager and someone had knocked it over, and it hadn't been it hadn't been put up again. And how disrespectful was this? So no, he was a he's a lovely man, but hyper, absolutely hyper. On the way to away games, on the way into the grounds, if we'd see people on the side walking to the game with Brentford scarves or tops on we would stop, the driver would open the door and I'd lean over the front where I used to sit and say, come on, get on! And supporters used to get onto the bus and the players from the back of the bus used to look down. Who's that? We get on the coach and as we're travelling towards Hartlepool, Martin stands at the front of the coach and the players are all reading or playing cards or whatever. And he said, listen up, this is my favourite song. And when we go to an away game, you will all join in. And he said, this is what you're going to be doing. So it was S Club 7, Reach for the Stars. So he's standing at the front of the, front of the coach, going through all the routine. Reach for the stars. And all the players are sitting there going, no, no, no. So that was... That was quite funny to see the players embarrassed. But that, that was Martin Allen. And when we used to get to the stadium or the ground, instead of just chucking them off, I used to take them into the dressing room, out onto the pitch, have pictures done of all the players, 
the players, it broke the ice a little bit and took away all the tension, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it yeah. diffused the tension. We get to the ground and I get off the coach and I think, oh, I'm not going to get my tickets. And I shook his hand and said, thank you very much for that experience. He said, where are you going? I said, well, going to watch the game. He said, no, no, you're coming with us. And he took me into the dressing room. And um, quite often we'd sit the players down in the dressing room and the supporters would give the team talk to the players. <laughs> and then he started to give his team talk. Now, I'm not going to use the words he used, but he said, right, listen up, lads. This is how we're going to play it today. You're going to sit and wait and wait like a python. And you're going to wait and you're going to wait. And then you're going to pounce. OK, so that's how we're going to play this game. We won 2-0. It's still, um, it would make me uh, cry even right now. I could uh, cry. Um, the Sheffield Wednesday night. <laughs> I have to bite my lip here. Um, I will never ever forget that night. I, it was just the, the, the night, the emotion. A good result away at Hillsborough where we only lost 1-0 and then bringing them back here and then it was what happened in the second half that was um, it was just um, such a magical night magical night um, when they scored and I think it went 2-0 something like that I knew we couldn't win the game my dream was over um, and then all the supporters started singing Brentford. How proud they were of Brentford and the team. That Every fan cheered their team, even in defeat. It was magic. Martin Allen explains why following the second playoff defeat in 2006, it was time for him to leave. I did feel exhausted. I had no, I didn't have the same drive determination and fire in my belly, big belly now, to come back and rebuild. Because I, I had been told and I knew that some of those players would have to leave and the money needed to be bought in. If we'd, if we'd have gone up, I could have kept those players and I would have stayed. But by not going up, the likes of Soji, uh, Turner, Tab, the best players would all have to go. And from that point onwards, it would have been a struggle because I didn't know the players that I could bring in to replace them as I had done when I first signed. When Martin Allen left, that was, that was, the, that was the hardest time as a fan, I thought, because he was someone who really motivated the team like no others. And getting yourself back up to get back to Griffin Park the next year was, um, was uh, yeah, it was difficult to start again. Actually, around that time, I used to play in a um, play in a, um, a music group, and we were doing a uh, showcase demo for a record company. We recorded an album, and we were asked to do a few B sides. And the last song we wrote for it was a perceived love song called Mar uh, "It Was Called Our Revolution Has Died." And on the surface, it was about the end of a relationship, but in reality, it was about Martin Allen leaving Brentford and how I was going to get over it.
Gnade ein das Sein. I'm losing my love for this game. I miss your motivation since you went away. I heard you're doing well today. shopping with my wife and we were in Regent Street and all the lights were up there and there was all nice music playing and all that sort of stuff and we was walking along and there was a bloke walking towards me and he was staring at me and, uh, and I thought to myself, aye aye and as he was walking, getting closer he was smiling which was a relief and uh, he put his hand out he said that you're Martin aren't you? I went, yeah 
and I shook his hand, obviously, and we both stopped. I said, uh, he said, I'm a Brentford fan. <laughs> Big, biggest grin on his face. He said, uh, he said, we had some great times, didn't we? I went, yeah. We stood there for 20 minutes just talking about old Brentford times. All his favourites, a few of my favourites, a few of the things we've spoken about today. And it don't matter whether you're in Regent Street or a car park in Slough or down in Hounslow High Street, wherever I go with the Brentford fans and whenever I come back here, it is special. You can imagine, um, you know, it ain't always been good for me in football management. It ain't always been good. And I don't always get it, trust me. <laughs> I get some absolute dog's abuse at some of the places I go to. So when you walk down the street and everybody has a smile on their face and you make people happy, it is a magical feeling. This podcast was presented by me, Jatin Kundupali, and in this episode you will have heard from Martin Allen, Marcus Gale, Jim Levac, Ron Cooper, Brian Burgess, and James McKeegan. Music was written and performed by Rob Johnson, except Our Revolution Has Died, written by James McKeegan, and performed by Sunsets on Vegas. The podcast was produced by Digital Words. The project was funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund and supported by Brentford Football Club. Listen to the full interviews and find out more about the project at www.pushupbrentford.org.uk.